Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? That's a haunting question. Get your Bibles ready, Romans chapter 2, and we are continuing to look at what Paul has, uh, not only for the Gentiles, but the, the religious people as well. <clears throat> we talked last week about not just hearing, but listening, intently leaning in. Uh, today we are continue on, continuing on in this paragraph, looking at what the Gentile situation is without the law. So they don't have the law, they don't have the, these written rules and regulations, <clears throat> and they have uh, what God has given them, which is their conscience, uh, knowing right from wrong, understanding that. And so they have a law, it may not be written, uh, it could be a situation that they, they have some guidelines that they've, they've uh, learn through culture in different ways. In fact, we have some unwritten rules that we live by with all of our laws that we have, with, with following the word of God. Uh, we have some unwritten rules in our life. And so don't put hands up because you might get in trouble. But I need to know how you're doing so far with these unwritten rules. Okay, first one is wait for the elevator to unload before you load. Do you, don't you hate that? You're in the elevator trying to get out, and there's a whole crew trying to come back in. So wait till they exit, then come back in. Okay, no hands so far, so that's good. When you see the lights of another car, please turn your brights off. Okay, even if you're way across the median, and it's a 100-yard median, I can still see your brights. Uh, so turn those off. Replace the toilet paper roll on the widget <laughs> when it's empty. Now... I know Carrie's in the room somewhere, but I don't want to look at her eyes right now because I've been guilty. And it doesn't count, by the way, to put the full roll on top of the widget. I'm calling it a widget. That's probably even worse because you've already attempted half of the job and not completed it. Um, don't leave a gap in the drive through line. Please. And someone had just posted that just last week. Yes. Okay. You're not going to hit the other car. You can move up a little bit, though, and it makes me feel like I'm going faster. <laughs> Closer to the window and my food. Uh, if you're not sure a lady is pregnant, don't ask. Ever. <laughs> ever, ever, ever. Okay? Don't even, don't even try to look like, you know, how many months? No. <laughs> don't even attempt it. Uh, you can only call shotgun if you are out of the building and can see the car. Could never get that right with my brothers growing up. You have to be at least within sight of the car before you can call shotgun. And then I broke one yesterday. Terrible. My boys are reaping the benefits, but don't ever, ever go grocery shopping hungry. <laughs> I had a decent list, and I think I came back with more than what was on the list uh, with some extra snacks. So, uh, so we have some unwritten rules. Paul is telling us that, look, the Gentiles may not have the written law, but they know right from wrong. They have a conscience. Uh, God's given them a conscience. So there's, there's this element of even without the law, the Gentiles are still going to mess up. 
they're still going to have a situation that you know right and wrong, you choose wrong, well, guess what? You've blown it. So as we look through 14 and 15, that the Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires. So Paul's even saying, look, the, the law that the religious people have, there's some obvious things to do right, and the Gentiles will even do some of those things. Uh, so they're even following some of the law. And then that they are a law to themselves, and this is not saying that they get to make up their own law, they get to make up their own rules and regulations, uh, but it's saying that they have the work of the law on their hearts. They know what is right and what is wrong, and they show that. And this is not the law written on their hearts, like Jeremiah 31 doesn't, the Jeremiah 31 talks about that the Lord placed his word on the hearts or the, the inward parts of the believer. Uh, this is more that the works of the law, if you will, like the spirit of the law, uh, not just the written law that Gentiles are responsible for, uh, that they know right from wrong. And then it talks about their conscience, and we're gonna hang out there for pretty much the rest of the morning about what does this conscience mean? Uh, what does it look like to have uh, this little nudge in our soul, in our heart, our stomach, wherever it is, saying, no, that's not right, or you know what, that's okay. Your conscience is clear. And then we're going to talk about for a moment what it even means, our thoughts, our secrets, uh, that they will accuse us or even excuse us. Uh, a, a man can go through life, a woman can go through life thinking, you know what, I've done all these right things, my conscience is clear, but it just takes that one mistake uh, to blow it and to bring on the wrath of God that is this situation. So as we look at today, we're gonna realize all through chapter two, Paul's saying, nice try. Uh, he's going through all these different angles that man tries to excuse themselves and, and Paul's saying, nope, nice try. And so today is let your conscience be your guide. It's good advice, but not good enough. So what is this conscience? We think of Jiminy Crickets, we think of the devil and the angel on either side, uh, trying to, to prod us to what is right. It is the self-awareness that judges what we've done, or this choice that we've made, an action, a thought. Uh, and after we've made that, then it's like, oh, nope, that's not right. Conscience is uh, giving you a guilty feeling. Or, you know what, that's okay. That goes along with your morality, it goes along with your relationship with God, so we're all good. Uh, so this is what the conscience is. It's this internal moral co code, a warning light if you do something wrong, uh, just thinking about something even. The conscience could say, nope, that's not right. I told you not to do that. And looking at the conscience, even in our family cultures, our, our countries, there's some basic rights and wrongs that are obvious across the world, respecting your elders, your, your parents, uh, not killing someone. Uh, there's, there's some basic human elements of what our conscience says is right and wrong. And Paul's saying, you have that, you understand it, and it's still going to con condemn you. And here's some quotes about a conscience. Always let your conscience be your guide. That's Jiminy Cricket. Uh, conscience is a dog that can't bite but never stops barking. Anyone have a conscience like that? 
One should be more concerned about what his conscience whispers than what about what people shout about. So that quiet conscience voice instead of uh, people getting in your face. A clear conscience is a soft pillow. Sleep a lot better with a clear conscience. Um, And I got someone in trouble for this one. Uh, First service. Conscience is a mother-in-law whose visit never ends. (laughs) So any mothers-in-laws this morning, I please ask for forgiveness now. So your conscience can be your guide is, is good advice, but it's not good enough. And our conscience is created by God. We see that we know right from wrong uh, without any external guidance. And looking at that, back to verse 15, it talks about that the Gentiles knew that they had the works of the law on their heart, uh, that they have this conscience. And even looking back at Adam and Eve, when they sinned, they knew immediately that they had done wrong. They had this guilt feeling. They, they felt so guilty, they had to co- cover up their nakedness. And when God came back into the garden, they went and hid. They were gone. They did not want to have to face God uh, because of this guilt that, that they had. And even before the Ten Commandments, when Cain killed Abel, he knew that it was wrong. He didn't need a law that says, thou shalt not kill. He knew that that was, that was a mistake and that that was something that he shouldn't have done. So God has created in all mankind this conscience, this this element of understanding right and wrong. Matthew 7, 11, if you turn with me to Matthew 7. So Matthew 7, 11. Says, if you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So here's even a situation talking about evil man still knows that it's good to do nice things for your, your children. Uh, there's still this element, no matter how evil man is, to understand what's right, what are some things to do okay, and what are some things that are wrong. And with our conscience, understanding right and wrong, we are also taught things that continue to to form and to mold our conscience. We're taught not to cheat, steal, or lie. Uh, We're taught the rules of the house, like cleaning your plate of all the food, including peas. Um, We are taught the rules of the workplace or of school. You have all these regulations and and rules at school that you have to to follow. Uh, We are taught things related to morality. And so these continue to shape and mold our conscience as well. Uh, these, these guidelines set up in certain situations that we're in. But as we look, our conscience isn't that great. Uh, like I said before, let our conscience be our guide as good advice, but not good enough. Because sin comes in and dis- distorts our conscience. Uh, we can choose to make a decision. Obviously, you choose to make a decision, right? Uh, but as you make a decision... If it's wrong, your conscience will say, nope, I wouldn't do that, or it'll say it's okay. How many times if we choose what our conscience would say to do that's wrong, do we sit there and say, well, you know what, I'm going to do it anyway. 
uh, versus actually listening to our conscience and say, no, I'll back up and I'll go this right direction. Uh, but sin comes in and is like, look, if it feels good, do it. Uh, it doesn't matter what the conscience says. And so our conscience can be distorted by, by sin. And when you throw in desire and lust and temptation and pride, then we're really in a mess. Uh, because I know my conscience says one thing, but this really looks good over here. I'm going to go for it. And we're, if you'll turn with me to Titus 1 and then 1 Timothy 4. Scripture talks very specifically about what sin does to our conscience. So Titus chapter 1, verse 15 and 16, says, To the pure, all things are pure, but to the, to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. So scripture is saying it, it can be not only just distorted, but defiled, um, completely messed up because you just continue to choose in your sin. And then 2 Timothy 4, or 1 Timothy 4, verses 1 and 2. 1 Timothy 4, 1 and 2. Now, the Spirit expressly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. Uh, King James Version actually adds by an iron. I don't know if you've ever been burned uh, so dramatically with a hot iron, hot metal, a hot liquid to where your nerve endings are just completely fried. Uh, to where there is very little, if no, pain in that area of the skin because it's just been destroyed. So here, Scripture warns that our consciences can, can, can be totally messed up, not just distorted a little, not just a little, a little uh, of the edge off. And some people describe the conscience as like <clears throat> a triangle, a square with sharp, pointy edges, and when you do something wrong, there's this nice little jab saying, nope, that's not the right thing to do. But the more that we ignore that, the more that we continue in our sin, that those edges become a little bit softer, a little bit more round, so that the, the prodding of our conscience is less intense, and it loses its power. And realizing that, that sin is a progression, there's, there's situations in our life that as we sin, we continue to sin. It, it, it becomes bigger, it becomes greater. So I have an example this morning of what it would look like to be a bank robber, all right? So follow me with this progression. So this guy needs some money. He's like, the best place to get money is a bank. So I'll rob a bank. But immediately was like, no, that's not good. I'll end up in prison. It's not the right thing to do. He's listening to his conscience, nice little prod, and backs off of that idea. And so he's tempted, but walks away from the temptation. Then the next week, he's like, oh, you know what? I could really use some of that money. So now he's thinking about it a little bit more, like, I've seen these TV shows and movies. I'm sure I can figure this thing out. 
You know, I could really use the money, and now he's lingering on this thought uh, of what it means to, to rob a bank. And so he's, he's progressing now more, allowing this sin to override or overrule the, his conscience. And then the next step, he's like, you know what? I'm making some plans. He gets his getaway car set up. He's got his route to escape. He's cased out the joint. I watch my TV shows. Knows where the cameras are. He's got the timing down for the, the response of the policeman. He's got everything laid out. Okay, he still hasn't robbed a bank, so he hasn't really committed a crime, but now he's actually even making plans about what this is gonna look like. And then, of course, the very next step is actually robbing the bank. So now this progression has led to him actually physically robbing the bank. And it doesn't stop there. At that point, he could feel guilty, he could turn himself in, clear his conscience. Oh no, Mr. Pride steps in and is like, look, I did this with no problem. I got away scot-free, guess what? I'm gonna hit some more banks. So now it continues. Now his conscience is just gone. Um, but let me tell you a secret. And those of you that know that have, have been in situations similar where we progress and we allow a sin to continue in our life, <clears throat> that peace is not there. That sleeping easily on the soft pillow is not there. Uh, no matter how much the conscience gets, gets weighed down, gets dulled in our life, the peace is not there. So of course he continues. He not only knocks, uh, knocks over a few more banks, uh, but then it's so much so a part of his life and who he is that he starts to involve other people. So this whole progression, we see that this guy is just does not care. He's made a profit, he's made a nice living, doesn't have to work again, and he has gone so far that now he's actually involving other people. But that peace is not there. As much as he wants to squash the conscience, he's doomed for the rest of his life, dealing with the consequences of what he's done. But having that guilty conscience, having that sharp prod is, that, is a good thing. Um, having a guilty conscience because you know that you've done something wrong. You know that something else should have been right. And Samuel Langhorne Clemens, also known as Mark Twain, wrote this about a guilty conscience. An uneasy conscience is a hair in the mouth. That's bad enough. I would trade mine for the smallpox and seven kinds of consumption and be glad of the chance. A guilty conscience, it can be annoying, it can be the mother-in-law, it can be the barking dog, whatever, that's a good thing. Uh, here's something that you understand, you did something wrong, you have a, a, a way to fix it, uh, to ask for forgiveness and to go on. But letting our conscience be our guide is good advice, but not good enough. So Paul is telling the Romans, the religious and the Gentiles alike, that your conscience won't save you. Yes, you can look righteous in your own eyes, you can follow your conscience, you can follow these unwritten rules, but if you mess up one, that's it. So going on in verse 16, read with me that on that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus that on that day is a judgment day, the day that we come uh, to the throne either guilty of all of our sins or washed in the blood of the Lamb uh, and having that forgiveness that we have in Christ Jesus. 
And there's so much within even this one verse uh, that without the righteousness of Christ, without our sins being atoned, uh, we are guilty as charged. And according to my gospel, what a great picture of Paul uh, claiming the gospel of Christ in his life, that it wasn't just that moment of conversion. Um, if you're in class with me on Sunday nights, we're dealing with this, but the gospel affects who we are throughout our whole journey as a Christian. So Paul claiming my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. Now we're really messed up. Forget about denying the conscience, but now God's dwelling in, in uh, exposing every secret that we've ever had. Um, this is all-knowing God, omniscient God, that he knows everything. There is nothing that he does not know. There is nothing that he is not aware of. And let me read to you from 2 Timothy, or uh, sorry, Isaiah. Isaiah 66, 18 says, for I know their works and their thoughts. So not just our works, but even our thoughts, even our thoughts dealing with our conscience. And then Psalm 139, the first four verses say, O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. I remember as a child hearing this passage and in my vivid, uh, vivid imagination, and this is well before video cameras and all of that, um, the thought of, all right, so God knows everything I'm seeing and thinking about? Like, am I gonna have to replay my whole life from what I saw through my eyes to God? And I knew then I was gonna be in trouble. Um, but even now, knowing that God knows our thoughts, God knows every secret that we have. And we are gonna stand in judgment uh, before Christ with these sins. And so Paul's like, nice try. Like there is no way around any of this now. And so what do we do knowing that the Gentiles don't have this law, knowing that even the religious people have the law and aren't listening and aren't uh, taking a hold of what it really means uh, to have Christ as their savior? And Paul's like, it's this wrath of God. It is because of our sin. And God wants you to understand that there is no element of your life that you can try to get around this. Uh, you have blown it. Uh, sin has entered our relationship. It has separated us. And because of that, there's someone has to pay for the consequences. And we have Jesus. So let's go back to our conscience. Let's go back to understanding what it means to have a clear conscience to be able to sleep at night, uh, to understand that no matter what has, life has brought you, no matter what choices you've made, no matter what thoughts you've had, that Christ can conquer all of that. So we try to clear our conscience on our own. We try being extra nice. We try to do th nice things for other people that outweigh the bad or this guilty feeling. Uh, we even get involved at church. We use a, a religious activity reading the Bible, coming to church, saying, man, hopefully this guilty feeling will be gone. Um, but it doesn't work. Even getting involved with addictions, having something, some outside source that we can rely on uh, to try to, to dull the pain from an external way. But that's not the right answer. 
here's a story of a stinky house. I don't know if you've ever had a weird smell in your house. Um, something not right. I'm not talking the regular trash in the can and stinky diapers, whatever. But something's just off, and you can't quite figure out what it is. So you finally go through the house, and in one of your closets is a dead mouse. Okay? And those stink, especially if it's been there a while. It's worse if it's in the wall and you don't find it for even months later. Um, but what do you do? I mean, how often do we, in that situation, we're going to find out where the mouse is. But how often in our life do we have something that's stinky, that we pull out the Febreze, uh, we pull out the fabric uh, softener, whatever smell, good, light candles, some way to overcome the smell in our house. Is that the right way to get your house to smell better? No. The best thing to do is get rid of the mouse. Okay, we go after the mouse. We get it out of the house. We wrap it up in 5,000 bags uh, with a whole box of bounce inside of it, <laughs> something to get out. How often do we, even as Christians, deal with guilt, deal with a guilty conscience that we try to do all these other things to try to cover that up, but not realizing that the true move that we need to make is ask for forgiveness of our sin. Uh, to grab a hold of that sin, confess it, and let God deal with that, uh, knowing that he is the only way. John 1, or 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Yes, hallelujah. Here is a God that loves us so much that has already paid for all of our sin on the cross, but there are so many times we need to say, God, I need help with this particular sin. I need it gone from my life, and he is the only power, uh, the only way that we can do that. And we keep our conscience uh, clean through confession of sin, but it's even getting into the word of God. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says, Keeping our, or all scriptures God-breathed is useful for teaching, for rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. When we accept Christ, we have this guidebook that we can set our, our life to, that we can set our conscience to, uh, to allow now the Holy Spirit to work in our life, uh, and for us to deal with this and to understand what it means to have a Savior who has paid for our sins, who has conquered sin and death, who wants to come and live and be a part of our life, that we come to him to live and be a part uh, totally of our life. And so here's this amazing picture of a God that loves us, who brought his son, Christ, to die for our sins. The only way to a clear conscience is to be without guilt. The only way to be without guilt is by the saving power of Christ Jesus. So let's not have our conscience be our guide. Let's let Jesus be our guide. That's good advice and good enough. Um, truly, that is the only way. And what a blessing it is that we, as Christians, have that in our life, understanding that there are those that don't have Christ in their life, that are missing out on what uh, Christ, not only through salvation, but through everyday part of their life of, of how much he wants to be Lord and Savior. And with the shed blood of Christ comes a redemption of sin, comes our forgiveness. 
Let me read to you, and you can turn with me, Hebrews 9, verse 14. And we'll close up with this. Hebrews 9, 14. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? What an awesome picture that we continue in this relationship that it's not just a point of conversion, but God wants to be a part of every part of our life. Not our actions, not just our deeds, but our thoughts. Uh, that everything points to Jesus as, as best that we can. And we're gonna mess up. We're still dealing with the sin. We're still dealing with a guilty conscience. We're dealing with all of this, but we have the power of God. It's working at our, in our life through the saving blood of Christ Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. And what an awesome God that we get to serve and worship and glorify in our life. As we go into this time of invitation, I pray if there's anyone that does not have this in their life, that does not know Christ as Lord, that you will come and talk to one of us this morning. Um, And maybe it's just a time to reflect, to thank God for all he's doing in your life, uh, to do an evaluation in our mind of what we are some things that we might need to let go. Uh, and let God have more power over in our life uh, because he wants all of us that looking at this relationship that we have, that every moment of every day, of every week, of every year, that we glorify him with all of our being. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time this morning uh, that you've given us to listen about the amazing creation of the mind, uh, your amazing gift of, of thoughts and and understanding right and wrong. Father, And what a blessing it is to know that you want our whole lives uh, to glorify you. And Father, I pray that we continue to seek after you uh, with all of our being, with all of our mind, and strength and soul. Father, I thank you for everyone that's here this morning that we've needed to hear this reminder of your amazing love. We've needed to understand how detailed in every aspect of our life uh, that you care about, uh, that you want to know, that you want to help for us to understand where you are in our mind and in our actions and our deeds and our words, every aspect of it. Thank you for this morning. May you be glorified. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.